The following sermon was delivered in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. Thank you for that very uh, warm and kind introduction. I certainly appreciate the opportunity to be here this morning. Frank asked me uh, a couple weeks ago, we sat down and went to Dad's Cafe, had a little lunch together. Didn't surprise me at all, that's what he chose. We're there talking, he says, yeah, we got to know each other a little bit. He says, like the opportunity to at least be there the first time that you're preaching with the church. And uh, as he's come down now and not able to be here this morning, the Lord certainly has his way of, uh, of doing those things. So I certainly appreciate, again, the opportunity, again, to be here. Every time I preach, I think, whether it's in our church or wherever it's at, I always try to, at the very beginning, lay out what I want to accomplish uh, with us this morning. And it's very, very simple this morning. I simply want us to leave this place with a greater appreciation and a greater love of who God is. I want you to leave this place a little bit different than how you came this morning. I want that same for myself as well, that we need to have a greater appreciation of who God is, of the love that he has for us. And if we're able to do that, I would consider that success this morning as we come together. I appreciate the opportunity. Obviously, our desire here above all things is to worship the Lord. That's why you're here this morning. I trust that's why you're here this morning. But I also understand that you're here in in this case, in this morning, to actually listen to me speak. And I don't take that lightly. It's All of you guys are getting all your time, and I'm giving my time this morning to be here for this place, that we would indeed use it for the glory of God, that it would be for your good, and that it would indeed help us to love one another and to love him more than anyone else in our lives. So again, we're grateful to be here. The opportunity is wonderful. We are here to worship the Lord and to give him praise. To that end, we're going to look at Abraham and Isaac this morning. So if you turn with me, let's go into Genesis. I want to do a quick survey of of Abraham's life, of how the Lord worked in his life multiple times. If you turn with me, we're going to go through several passages fairly quickly. Genesis 12, there's seven times that the Lord comes to Abraham and is using this as his relationship of giving himself to him and bringing himself along the path as Abraham was a sojourn on this earth. The first one that we see is that Abraham is called by God. In Genesis 12, verses 1 through 4, we read, Now the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So there's God's calling of Abraham to himself. Get out of your country, for I have something greater for you. Then turn to 13, verses 14 through 18, and we see the blessings that God gives to Abram. Genesis 13, beginning in verse 14. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward. For all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever, and I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. So that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants also could be numbered. Arise, walk in the land through its length and its width, for I give it to you. Then Abram moved his tent and went to dwell by the Tamarith tree of Mamre, which are in Hebron, and built an altar there to the Lord. We have the blessings that God gives to Abram. And then if you turn to 15 and verse 4, pick it up in verse 3 actually, 15 verse 3. 
The neighbors said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, this one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, look now toward the heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to them, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it to him for righteousness. There we have the patience of Abram, trusting in the Lord and looking at his goodness and his kindness. And then if we drop down to verse 13 of the same chapter of 15, verse 13, it says this, then he said to Abram, know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them, and they will afflict them 400 years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. Now as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they shall return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. The Lord's giving Abram hope. There's going to be a time of affliction, but there will be a time of hope that you will return to this place that I'm giving you. And then if you drop down to chapter 17, beginning in verse 1, here we have the sign of the covenant of God's sufficiency for Abram. When he says this, 17 verse 1, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in the generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. So here we have the sufficiency of God entering into a covenant with him. And then in 18, verse 22, we see the justice of God. Uh, chapter 18, verse 22, dealing with Sodom and Gomorrah, we read, Then the men turned away from there and went towards Sodom, and Abraham stood still before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? And we know the rest of the final finality of that story. All these things, these are how God dealt with Abram, came to Abram, revealed to himself, changed his name, gave him his covenant, and that brings us all the way to Genesis 22, when we have the story of Abraham and Isaac. And Abraham being asked, not just asked, but required and commanded to give the most precious thing that he had on the face of the earth, which was his son himself. So if we would, let's take a moment, just commit our time to the Lord and ask for his blessing here this morning. Lord God, we, we worship you. You are indeed the Almighty. You have not changed a single day since these times have taken place with Abraham. You are the same God today as you ever have been and ever will be. And we pray, Lord, that you would cause us to be mindful that we are indeed in the presence of the Lord God Almighty, that you hear and you know and you see all things, that you are in this place and yet, Father, we ask of you that we would not meet alone, but we pray that you would come by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, the wood is laid down, the altar is here in our hearts, but Lord, we need the fire of your Spirit to come into the place that we are, that you would receive the glory, that you would encourage and strengthen our hearts, 
and that we know indeed that you are the Lord Almighty, and that you would cause us to love you even just a little bit more today because of our time together this morning. Father, we commit it to you and to your care. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so let's read Genesis 22. This, the nice thing about not preaching once in a while is I get to think for a long time about what I'm going to preach about. And a couple of weeks when I was with uh, Frank, I actually read this chapter. Uh, let you in a little secret. My uh, daily routine is my iced tea at McDonald's. I do that literally practically every day. And I read the paper, I look at my email, and then occasionally, not as much as I should, but I'll read the Bible. And the chapter that I read that morning was 22, and I asked Frank, I said, what would you think would be appropriate to bring forth? He goes, well, whatever the Lord lays on your heart. I said, well, there was no question about it, because this chapter, as I read it, I, uh, I don't think I cried right there as I was drinking my iced tea, but I got pretty, pretty close to it. You cannot read this. You cannot hear this passage and not by be moved by the compassion that was required of Abraham with Isaac. So let's read the entirety of it. I'm going to separate it into uh, just four different points this morning. I'm going to keep an eye on my time. I've been told that clock is running a little slow, which is awesome. Really appreciate that. I think it's slow by about an hour or so, I've been told, but I don't know about that. All right, let's read Genesis 22. I'm going to read, uh, I'll read the first, uh, 19, first 19 verses. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey, the lad, and I will go yonder in worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. And he bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on, your, on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then Abraham, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham the second time out of heaven. And said, by myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, 
And multiplying, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they rose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Amen. Isn't that amazing? This actually happened. You know, it's a story we get so used to, and the kids have heard the stories from day one of Adam and Eve, and we hear all the stories of Joseph and David and Solomon and Elijah, and we hear the stories of Abraham and Isaac. This happened approximately 4,000 years ago, but I assure you, with all veracity, this actually took place. And we can get so used to these stories that they can begin not to really affect us. But as, we, as I talk this morning and as you listen, I hope that you're actively engaged. Your jo- my job is to speak truth. Your job is to listen to me, make sure that I'm speaking truth, discern that it's truth, and to apply it to your lives as I try to apply it to my lives to the glory of God. But this actually took place. Put yourself there for a moment. Those of you that are parents... Think about what it would take for you to take your children and to slay them if God had commanded you to do that. All of us are children. Some of us, our parents are still living. Some of our parents are not still living. But think of you as a child, and if your father required you to be on the altar of the wood, how would you respond to that? And that's exactly what we see with Abraham and Isaac this morning. As I said, I've got four points as we move along this morning through this passage. It's going to be the commandment to obey that the Lord gives in verses 1 and 2. We're going to see the preparation of obedience that Abraham brings forth in verses 3 through 8. We're going to see the acts of obedience there in verses 9 through 14. And then we're going to see the reward of obedience that the Lord gives to Abram because he has listened and obeyed his voice. So let's start, first of all, with the commandment to obey, verses 1 and 2. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I shall show you. So here we have the command. It's very simple. Very simple, but very hard. Take your son, your only begotten son, whom you love. It's interesting, this is the first time in the scripture that it talks about someone loving somebody. Abraham loves his son, his begotten, his only son. Ishmael has been taken care of. He has been moved out. The Lord will bless him with many nations and all those things take place. But Abraham, Abraham, as far as you're concerned, you only have one son, the only son that you love. And I am telling you, You are to go and sacrifice him. But notice Abraham's response when the Lord calls to him. First of all, he says, here I am. And as I read it, you might have noticed there's three, at least three, maybe even four times that Abraham says in the passage, here I am. Abraham is the audience. He hears God's voice. He knows where he's at. He's in the presence of the Almighty. And his immediate response is, here I am. And as I thought about that, how often are we not where we say we are? Even just yesterday, I was downstairs watching. I'm a huge Florida Gator fan. I'm from Florida. I love the Gators. I'll watch anything Gators. Football, basketball, doesn't matter. Baseball, doesn't matter what it is. I want to watch the sport, whatever it is. I'm downstairs 
finished some of the sermon prep, I'm watching the game, the basketball game, and, and Jess comes down and she wants to talk. I'm like, oh, I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk right now. But she needs something and it's important to her. So I hit the pause button on the DVR and then we talk. It was important to her. It was important for her to have my attention, even though there was only 34 seconds left in the last half. <laughs> and I paused it, and we talked. We finished. I hit play, and they lose by like six. It's like, ah, all right, back to the word. But the point is, that's where we are. How often do you act like you're not where you are when I'm talking to you or someone else is talking to you? In the phones, the phones... We've got to learn to be able to put the phones down and be where we are, that we would listen to our audience, that we would be the audience to others, that we'd listen to those that we're with. And in this case, Abraham heard God because here I am. And God tells him specifically where you need to go. You need to go to the land of Moriah. And this is really, 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 really important. Like, really important. Turn with me to First Chronicles 21. Just flip over a few pages in your Bible to 1 Chronicles 21. All right, 1 Chronicles 21, starting in verse 14. 21-14. So the Lord sent a plague among Israel. Remember what's taking place here. David has done a consensus. He's counted all of Israel. He wants to know how many people are there. That was bad enough. What was really bad is he did not give a sacrifice for atonement, which the Lord required in the book of Exodus. So these things take place, and this is what happens. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel, and 70,000 men of Israel fell. And God sent an angel to Jerusalem to destroy it. As he was destroying, the Lord looked and relented on the disaster and said to the angel who was destroying it, it is enough. Now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord stood by the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Then David lifted his eyes and saw the angel of the Lord standing between earth and heaven, having in his hand a drawn sword stretched out over Jerusalem. So David and the elders, clothed in sackcloth, fell on their faces. And David said to God, What is it not that I who commanded the people to be numbered? I am the one who has sinned and done evil indeed. But these sheep, what have they done? Let your hand, I pray, O Lord, my God, be against me and my father's house, but not against your people, that they should be plagued. Therefore, the angel of the Lord commanded Gad to say to David that David should go and erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And then if you drop down to verse 25, we read this. So David gave Ornan 600 shekels of gold by weight for the place. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings and called on the Lord. And he answered him from heaven by the fire of the altar of the burnt offering. So the Lord commanded the angel and returned his sword to its sheath. And then flip over to 2 Chronicles chapter 3. 2 Chronicles chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. We simply read this. 2 Chronicles 3, 1 and 2. Now Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David, at the place that David had prepared on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. And he began to build on the second day of the second month in the fourth year of his reign. This is holy ground. This is holy ground. This is where the temple was to be built. This is where, we'll see later, Jesus was going out in Jerusalem to be crucified. This was the place for sacrifice to be given. And Abraham was commanded by God to go to this very place. 
Before we move on to the next point, is when we're talking about the commandment to obey, the other thing that I would like to highlight here, God did not give Abraham all the reasons of his commandment. You notice that? Take Isaac, go, go to this place. You are to slay him. But he doesn't tell him why. He doesn't tell him why. Oftentimes that's the case, isn't it? Kids, your parents tell you to do something. They don't have to tell you every reason why you have to do it. They're the authority in your life. God is our authority. We don't have to have a reason for every time he gives us a commandment. It's not our job to question who God is, to question his motives and his purpose and his reasonings. But it is our purpose and our intent to humble ourselves before him, that we would obey him at all times. When a cop pulls us over for speeding, not that that ever happens, we don't question him in his authority of pulling us over. He has the authority because of who he is and how he has been trained and what he has been given. It is our job to comply to the obedience and the authority God has placed in our lives. And in this case, Abraham does that fully. In this case, on the commandment, here I am. So we have the commandment to obey, but also now, secondly, we have the preparation to obey. We have the preparation to obey in verses 3 through 8. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him. And Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose. It went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder in worship and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife. And the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. Then he said, look, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Notice Abraham is very prompt in his obedience. God comes to him, however, in a vision or audible call, whatever it is, he comes to him in the night, and then Abraham promptly obeys the Lord. Early in the morning, he takes his donkey, he saddles his own donkey, It's amazing, right, even in that simplicity of humility that Abraham was saddling his own donkey. He took the two young men with him. He took the wood. He actually cut the wood, broke the wood with the axe himself. Again, put yourself here. You're about to slay your son, and you're taking an axe to wood and cutting it, knowing the purpose of this wood. He brings the knife, even though it's not mentioned here, but we know that he has it because we read later that he has it and brings it out. And he goes to the place. Three days they are traveling. It would have probably been the beginning of the third day. It was probably 40 or 45 miles away is how far they had to go. Isaac is there and think for a moment what they're thinking about. (laughs) What's Abraham thinking about? What would we as parents be thinking about? One thought would be coming to our mind in the case of Isaac is, Isaac, God, Isaac is completely innocent. He hasn't done anything wrong. He hasn't committed any sin that requires his death. You've never committed or required any death whatsoever, as far as we know, in the worship of you. And here Isaac is completely innocent, not done anything to deserve this. And here I am going to kill him because you have commanded me to kill him. But not only that, but also Abraham's telling himself something far greater. And we would never know this unless we had it from Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to read a few verses. Hebrews 11:17. This is amazing. 
Hebrews is wonderful for multiple reasons, but one of the reasons Hebrews is amazing is it gives us a commentary of the Old Testament of things that we would have never known unless we had the book of Hebrews. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 17. By faith, Abraham, which when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, in Isaac, your seed shall be called concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. So Abraham's thinking, I'm going to kill Isaac, who is completely innocent of all things, in this case, not desiring death. Obviously, he's a sinner, but he's not worthy of death. But he's also thinking, I'm going to slay my son, and God is able to raise him up. And we would never know that unless we had the commentary there from the book of Hebrews. Abraham was a man of faith. We have to remind ourselves that all people have all been saved by the same means, which is faith and faith alone, period. Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter. It's always and only completely by faith because that is what gives God the glory. In fact, Paul gives us that in Romans 4 when he's giving us understanding of these things as well. In Romans 4, verses 16 and 17, he says this, Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations, in the presence of him who believed, God, who gives life to the dead, and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Faith and faith alone. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. You are a new creature. You are new. There is things that are living in you that did not exist in you when you were born because God has come by his grace, given you the gift of faith that you would believe in him. We must never, ever, ever underestimate. We must never limit the power of God. We have those conversations. Does God still perform miracles? Does he still do these things? Every time a person comes in the knowledge of Christ and has become his disciple, a miracle has taken place in that person's life. And it took place in Abraham's life. And there Isaac is laying down all those things. But notice also that Abraham removes the distractions as he's going, right? He's going... He has Isaac, he has the fire, he has the wood, he has the knife. It's hidden stealthily. He's going to these things. He takes the two men, and they go so far, and then they stop. And Abraham says to the men, you must stay here. My son and I are going by ourselves. The distraction is being put away. Why did Abraham do that? We don't really know. But it wouldn't be too hard to conjecture that it's very likely that these two men would have tried to stop Abraham. We are not going to allow you to slay your only begotten son, your only son. So Abraham's putting the distraction away. He's putting the distraction away. I mentioned before that I was going to talk about the trains that went by. We used to come out here pretty often for Austin's uh, baseball games, and it was absolutely hilarious. I don't know, how old were you guys? Six, seven, little, right? And we'd be right here, actually, in the, in the baseball field here at Knightson. And we'd come out, and you know, it's cute, and they're all watching. We're all watching the games and all of that. But six, seven, eight-year-old boys get easily distracted when they're playing baseball, especially if they're in the outfield, right? Here's the butterfly, here's the lady, oh, my shoe's untied, I need to try to, oh, I haven't learned how to tie my shoes yet, so I'm out here, all right, time out, everybody, tie your shoes. 
Now we got the whole team tying your shoes. But when we were out here, the greatest distraction of all was that train. When that train came through, everything stopped. Everything stopped. I mean, even the parents stopped, right? And you get that nostalgic view. Oh, we're here, you know, out in Knightson, and here comes the train, and we're playing baseball. It's wonderful. But it was a complete distraction, and everything stopped. When we come to the worship of God, we have to remove the distraction. Or it might even be a better analogy: God needs to be the train. When the train comes through, it must have our undivided attention at all times. When we worship God, He must have our undivided attention at all times as we exercise the gift of faith to know that You exist, that You are real, and that I am in Your presence, and I love You, and I will, by my attempt, remove all distractions away from me for a moment, that I might be simply in the presence of the living God. And we live in a day and age that is very, very difficult to do. It's difficult to do. Remove the distractions. Abraham removed the distractions of the men. We must remove the distractions of our life if we are to understand and to grow in our presence and relationship with God. One other thing that I would say here before we move on in this preparation: notice what Isaac says. How Isaac responds to Abraham: "Look, the fire in the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering?" Isaac is knowledgeable. My point is this: Abraham has taught Isaac how to worship God. Because Isaac knows, he knows. There's the wood, there's the fire, but where's the offering? As parents, the most、uh, the most important thing that we do as parents is to reflect God and His nature in our home and in our relationships. And one of those things is to teach our children how to worship God. The truth is, though, that won't always be successful while they're in our home.、It、may not be successful to the end that we want them to become believers and disciples of Christ. Ever it is up to God, but we trust by our prayers. But the point also is this: we have the hope of the prodigal son. We have the hope that if we have taught them and we have guided them, even if they leave our homes rebellious and against God. That God, by His grace, will one day come and bring that knowledge to their hearts by that gift, and bring them to Himself, as indeed a disciple of Christ. Isaac had that privilege of being taught by Abraham how to be a true worshipper of God. So far, we've looked at the command to obey. We've looked at the preparations of obedience there in verses three through eight. Now we're coming to the very crux of the whole message, which is the actual acts of obedience. In verses nine through fourteen, for time's sake, I'm not going to read it again. But here we are. Abraham is coming. They come to the place which God has told them, and Abraham builds the altar. So he's building an altar again. Put yourself there. You're Abraham. You're building. God has said, "All right, you're going to a place. You're at this place. Now you're building an altar." He's building an altar, and he's placing the wood in order the way it needs to be on the altar. He binds Isaac. Isaac is not young, in all likelihood, at this point. He's not five or twelve or ten years old. In all likelihood, he's probably somewhere between twenty to thirty-five years old at this stage. Isaac is bound. He's willingly letting himself be bound by Abraham. Abraham's like a hundred. He's an old man. 
He's binding his son. And Abraham is willing that his sacrifice would be given to God. Not only that, but Abraham now is willing to sacrifice all of his relationships. Again, put yourself in the place of Abraham. You men, if you were to take your son or a daughter and go to slay him or her, and that happened, how would your wife respond when you got home? He's laying his relationship with Sarah aside. I don't care what she thinks about me. I don't care how upset she's going to be that her only son Isaac, her laughter as he was named, was slain by my hand. Isaac, you're my son. I love you more than anything else. But I'm about to slay you. And I don't care about my relationship with you because I'm going to obey the commandment of God. Abraham is putting away his relationship with his wife. He's putting away his relationship with his son. He's putting his relationship with his, as a master with his servants away. He's putting all those relationships away. And now his only relationship that he cares about is that he is the servant of the almighty God and he is going to obey him. It's all he cares about. It's the only thing that matters to him. But not only is Abraham faithful, but we also see that Isaac is completely willing. He's giving himself to his father. He's giving himself willingly, laying himself upon the altar. In the Bible, we have so many types of Christ that come to us. We have Adam and Jesus being the last Adam. We have Melchizedek, who is the high priest, as Christ is our high priest. We have Joseph, who is the chief and the ruler and provider. We have David, who is the king. We have Elijah, which was the prophet. And in this case, we have Isaac, who is the obedient one, even to the point of death, even as our Lord Jesus was. He's obedient to death. He's allowing his father to take him and to slay him there on the altar. And there's no fuss. There's no argument. There's no wrestling. He's not running away. He's simply yielding himself to the will of God. And then as Abraham goes and takes that knife and is about to slay his son, the angel of the Lord could also be referred to as the Lord of the angels, as we'll see here in a few moments. He says to him, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him, for I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from who? From me. From me. It's really important. This isn't just any angel. This isn't just any angel. This is Christ himself. This is the angel of the Lord. This is the Lord of angels coming and saying, you have not withheld your son from me. I will not allow you to slay him because I know now that you fear me. Amazing. Be blown away by this. I want you to be blown away by this. I'm blown away by this. How is this possible? Think of all the similarities that are taking place in this passage. It's absolutely incredible, the similarities between Isaac and Jesus. We have Jerusalem, Mount Moriah, of where they're at. They're outside of Jerusalem as they're on the crest of the mountain where Isaac is about to be slain. 
There's two men that come with him and only go so far as the disciples go into the garden but can't go any further. Or Peter and John go into the center part of the temple there but can't go any further. Christ goes by himself. Isaac is carrying the wood as Christ carries the cross upon his shoulders. We see the angel of the Lord crying out to him. In a moment, we're going to see the ram in the thicket, and it's what? It's all caught in the thicket of the thorns as the thorns of the crown are laid upon our Christ Savior as the crown. And here we have the angel of the Lord, Christ himself, coming to Abraham, coming to Isaac. Abraham, do not do this. Why? Because it won't do us any good for Isaac's blood to be spilled. There is only one blood that must be spilled for the salvation of mankind, and it is not his, it is mine. It's mine. Put yourself in a moment in Christ's place. He's literally stopping Abraham from killing Isaac. And he knows he knows in roughly 2,000 years it will be him that will be slain for the salvation and the forgiveness of sins and not Isaac himself. That's incredible. It's incredible. The Lord is satisfied in all that he's doing. The Lord is satisfied in these matters that no, you do not need to do this. And then he gives the provision, doesn't he, in verse 13 and 14. Abraham sees it. Sees it, right? 13 and 14. What do we see? We see the ram. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there, behold, a ram was caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said in this day, in the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. There's the ram. All of a sudden, those things are coming together, and the ram is there, and now the ram is given. Can you think again of Abraham? Did he ever give a more pleasant and wonderful offering than that ram? Notice there's no commandment of the ram to be slain. It's simply that he saw the ram, he took the ram, and he offered it God as an offering. And that's exactly what he did. And again, we see the ram, not a goat, Not a lamb, right? It's not perfect. It's not a perfect sacrifice. The lamb of God is the perfect sacrifice. But in this case, the ram was given, that God would be given the offering and that Abraham would slay that ram for his glory. And in response, Abraham calls that place Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will see, the Lord will be seen, and the Lord will provide. The Lord's going to provide all of these things, again, showing forth that truth, that faithfulness in him, working in him, knowing that indeed God will provide one day the means of salvation for all of his people and that he sees the provision of the Lord's in his life. Let me just ask you, what is it? What is the provision that you see in the Lord in, his, in your life today? The ram was given to Abraham to be that offering. What is it that you have within your life that is the provision that God has given to you? First and foremost, I hope and trust that it is indeed the Lord Jesus Christ himself for salvation. But on the other hand, it's like, we need to take a breath once in a while. Look at all that God has given to us. Look at all that God has given to us and let us enjoy his providence. Let us enjoy him as a provider. Let us enjoy him 
for he is good to us and he has indeed provided. He has been seen. And think about that. He will be seen. How was he seen? He was seen in the flesh. For in Christ, the fullness of the Godhead bodily resides. That's who Christ is. And again, I mentioned this was 4,000 years ago. It's been 2,000 years since Christ was on the face of the earth. are here for multiple reasons, but one of the reasons we're in here is because we believe that Jesus Christ is coming again. If he's not coming again, we are completely wasting our time. And the world thinks you're absolutely nuts. You think you're crazy. You're basing your entire eternal salvation on one man that lived 2,000 years ago. And we say, amen, we do. Abraham did it 2,000 years before Christ came. We're doing it 2,000 years after Christ has come, knowing again that he will come once and for all. We have, as we said, as we've moved along this morning, right, we've got the commandment to obey, we've got the preparation to obey, we've got the acts of obedience, fourthly, and finally this morning we have the reward of obedience found there in verses 15 through 19. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, Behold, I myself, I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young man and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt at Beersheba. Notice how the Lord swears. By myself, I have sworn. This is, the only, this is the last time the Lord does this. But he tells Abraham, there is no one else that I can swear by higher than myself. And I am swearing to you by myself. This will take place. This will take place. He is the greatest. All of these things will take place. I will abundantly bless you. Why? Because you have obeyed my voice. Our salvation is based on faith and faith alone. But our reward is based on how we act and what we do. Not all the rewards will be known in this life. We will be rewarded in the life to come. But it is not, it is not against Scripture to teach the importance of works because we will be rewarded for the things that we do. But we must never get confused. Those works will never, ever save us. There will be sinners in heaven that didn't commit any act of righteousness except believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to believe in him alone. And there will be a multitude of souls that will be cast into hell forever, doing great works, but never humbling themselves to the point of acknowledging their need of the Lord Jesus as their Savior. It's very important for us to understand those two things. And yet, look at the promise, the greatest promise that God gives to Abram when he says in verse 18, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. He's talking about the sand on the seashore. He's talking about the stars. He's talking about all those things. There's a multitude of descendants that will be blessed because of Abraham. Multitudes. Thousands and thousands, if not millions, if not billions of people. But then in verse 18, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. 
singular. There is only one seed that he's talking about in this case. Matthew 1, verse 1, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. He is the fulfillment of this prophecy. He is the seed that will save all of mankind, and he will be the one that gives us peace. Abraham returns with the men. His prophecy does come true. He said at the beginning, I'm going to go, and then I'm going to come back with him. Indeed, that takes place. He takes Isaac. He takes the young men. He returns to Beersheba, and he returns to that place that he would be at peace with God, knowing that he fully and completely obeyed him in all things. Do you love him just a little bit more? Just a little bit? That was my goal. I want you to love the Lord a little bit more. And how appropriate it is that we are here with the table this morning, knowing that he has given his blood and he has given his body for the forgiveness of our sins and that we should do that in remembrance of him. Let's close our time here in prayer. Lord God, we're so grateful. We're so grateful for your love and for your goodness and your kindness. We're so thankful for all of the stories that we have in the Old Testament and of these people, these faithful people that obeyed your word and obeyed your commandments. And Father, we just ask of you that you would increase our love for you, that we would increase our love for one another. And Lord, we pray that we would follow after the example of Isaac, that we would be willing to lay down our lives for you and for one another, that you would be glorified and that we would submit ourselves to you at all times and in all things. Father, receive our worship. Who are we? We are the vessels of your righteousness. We are your sons and daughters. And Lord, we ask of you that you would receive the worship of you, our King, because you are glorious and worthy of all worship. It's through your Son's name we pray. Amen. To respond to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.